Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hello and welcome to the Hypno Dojo. I am Linda. I'm the director of the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy and founder and president of the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. And the Hypno Dojo is a program for anybody interested in all things hypnosis, how to improve your practice, how to work better with your clients, how to gain some marketing skills. And today, we're going to talk about how to treat depression, specifically how you can make use of the mind-body connection to treat depression. Now, before I really get into this topic, I do want to say that I am a big advocate of determining the ISE, or the Initial Sensitizing Event, figuring out why people have depression in the first place and working to resolve that as opposed to simply giving people tools or suggestions to suggest it away. So some things that you might look for during your consultation. Uh, Now, there's a saying that depression is anger turned inward. And so looking for experiences that the client has had that have caused them to have self-loathing or to have anger towards themselves, Uh, sometimes depression is a result of a person having had anxiety for a great period of time. So anxiety causes you to operate at a very ramped up energy level for a period of time. And that can only be sustained for, you know, a little while before it's going to come crashing down. So when you have a client who comes in for depression, find out if they've ever suffered from anxiety. Sometimes what you're treating is actually not depression by itself, but you're treating kind of a side effect of a person having had anxiety, in which case we really want to find out why did the person have anxiety in the first place. The depression is a symptom of having had anxiety. What is the anxiety uh, resulted from? So you're looking for previous experiences of anxiety. You're looking for experiences that the client feels guilt or shame about. Uh, Why do they have anger towards themselves, self-loathing? There may also be other things that are responsible for depression, uh, growing up in an abusive household, growing up with negative critical parents or negative messages. Of course, we take all of that in. And obviously, if you have a, a life that is unfulfilling and unrewarding or threatening or dangerous, that can lead to depression as well. So the little like intro Look for those things during your consultation and during your sessions with the client. But how can we use the mind-body connection to treat depression? Now, depression can be kind of tricky because people often believe that it's due to a chemical imbalance. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a chemical imbalance or a chemical issue. I am saying, however, that chemicals can be changed. The risk if a person believes that it is purely a chemical imbalance and doesn't recognize that chemicals can be influenced, is that the person's going to think that it's not changeable. 
Now, it's the same thing. If a person thinks that it's a genetic issue, my dad had depression, I must have the gene for depression, then there's a risk that if they see it as purely genetics or purely due to a chemical imbalance, there's nothing that can be done about it. So part of what I want to do when I'm working with clients is really re-educate them that although there may be chemicals involved, chemicals can be changed. Now, if you're familiar at all with Bruce Lipton, um, if you're not, you want to look up Biology of Belief or Biology of Perception on YouTube. He's got a great hour-long video. The guy is a magnificent presenter, and he takes scientific concepts and makes them understandable to the layman. Bruce Lipton is a cell biologist who has proven that it isn't our genes that determine what happens to us. It's not our genes that determine if we become depressed or have diabetes or cancer or whatever. It's our perception of our environment. And this is good news because, again, if it's just genes, then we're born with the gene and there's nothing we can do about it. However, if genes are turned on or off depending on our perception of our environment, we can change our perception. So normally, uh, Bruce would do the first hour of his presentation talking about the biology of perception, and then he would be followed up by hypnotherapist Lee Poulos or uh, psych K fella uh, Rob Williams, who would talk then about how to change perception. So again, the old science says we just have genes, we're therefore victims, we can't do anything about changing our genes, but the new science is saying you may have a gene, but how you perceive your environment is what determines whether that gene becomes active or not. And so I'm talking about how chemicals can be influenced, how our perception of our environment affects the chemical cascade that we have going on in our body. So play along with me here. Right now I'm in my office. If you were in my office with me and out of the corner of your eye, you thought you saw a snake on the floor of my office, if you happen to be a person who is afraid of snakes, you would have all kinds of chemical and physiological responses occur in your body. Your mouth would go dry, your palms would get sweaty, your heart would start beating more rapidly, you'd be entering into the fight-flight state. You're preparing to either flee from the room or protect yourself against the snake. If you then realized that it wasn't a snake at all, but an extension cord, all of those initial responses would go away. Your heart would return to its normal rate, your palms would get dry, your mouth would be moist again. You might even laugh at yourself for thinking it was a snake in the first place, and now you're releasing endorphins, serotonin, all the feel-good hormones. And what mattered was not whether there was a snake there or not. That was completely irrelevant. All of those chemicals that were released in your body, all of those physiological responses were a result of your perception, not the reality. The reality is there was no snake, but thinking there was caused a chemical cascade in your body. And so every thought that we think creates a corresponding chemical cascade. So if we're thinking gloomy, negative, depressing thoughts, we are creating the chemicals in our body that cause depression. And then it becomes chicken or egg thing. As you think more depressing thoughts, you're releasing the chemicals of depression, which encourage more depressing thoughts. So people may have a default way of thinking, okay? a way of thinking that occurs out of habit or because it's just what they're used to doing, but we can train ourselves to think differently. 
Now, one example that I use often with my clients is um, a game of I spy. If I were to tell you to look around wherever you are now for the color black, you would probably start seeing the color black everywhere. So I'm in my office again. I'm seeing my filing cabinet, my chair, my lamp. There's all of these black things just popping out at me. But while you're looking for the color black, you're not looking for white or blue or green or red or any of the other colors. And those colors exist as well. So we have a default way of thinking, a way that we've been taught to think or a way that our experiences have conditioned us to think. If you've been brought up in a household where you are taught that the world is full of bad people doing bad things, then that is the experience of the world that you will have. When you turn on a news program, you will hone in on the stories about the terrorists, about the bad things happening in the world. If you walk past a schoolyard of children playing, you will interpret the sounds of the kids' voices as kids up to mischief, kids misbehaving. If you look into a sea of unfamiliar faces, you're going to hone in on the people who look a little bit sketchy. And if somebody gives you a compliment, you're probably going to go, hmm, what did they mean by that? What's the agenda here? And so your early experiences and what you've been taught are going to condition you to play a particular game of I spy out there in the world, to have a particular type of thought, to look for a particular type of experience. We actually have a portion of our brain called the reticular activation system whose job it is to see patterns out there in the world. So when I was pregnant, everywhere, everywhere I looked, there were other pregnant women. And for a period of time, I had my eye on this Jeep, this orange Jeep that I wanted to buy. And everywhere I looked, it seemed like people were driving this that I wanted, right down to the color. And so that was that portion of my brain that was finding out there in the world things what was in my consciousness. Now, on the other hand, if you've been brought up to believe the world is full of good people doing good things, you will have a completely different experience of the world. When you turn on that same news program, you will hone in on the stories about the Good Samaritans and the relief efforts and the people helping out in a crisis. If you walk past that same schoolyard of children playing, you will interpret the sounds of the kids' voices as kids full of life and energy. If you look into that same sea of unfamiliar faces, you're going to hone in on people who look warm and inviting. And if somebody gives you a compliment, you're just going to say thank you. You're not going to question the agenda. So the point is, the world has everything in it. And we as human beings have everything in us as well. We all have strengths and qualities that make us outstanding and unique talents and skills and attributes. And we also have faults and flaws and insecurities. But we're going to see in the external world and in our internal world what we're conditioned to see. We have a default way of thinking. We're playing a particular game of I spy. And again, the thoughts that we think, like the snake in my office, create a chemical cascade within your body. We have a pharmacy inside of our brains. We can produce endorphins and serotonin, and we can produce adrenaline. We can produce any kind of chemical in our brain, and we're doing it all of the time with our thoughts. So cognitive behavioral therapy is all about recognizing faulty thoughts and challenging them. And we're doing the same thing in hypnosis. When we're working with a client, we're getting them to pay attention to the kinds of thoughts that they are typically thinking, and we're conditioning them to change those particular thoughts. 
I had an interesting conversation with one of my clients a couple of days ago. She came to see me to work on her tendency to worry about what's going on for her medically. Sensations in her body and worried that they mean she's got some kind of medical condition. Now, I said earlier, you want to look for where did this pattern come from? Where did this person get this tendency? Regardless of what goal you're working on, whether it's depression or in this case, uh, her anxiety around medical condition, and you want to figure out where it stems back to. That's the work you really need to do. So in her case, she had a father who was a physician, and dad was really cold and unemotional, and the only way to get dad's attention was to have something medically wrong with you. But she said you pretty much have to be coughing up blood in order for him to pay attention. And so she learned to uh, be sick in order to get nurturing, in order to get attention. She also had a mom who was a bit of a worrier. The mother's father had died when the mom was really young. And so mom had to fend for herself a lot and grew up really feeling as though the world was a threatening, dangerous place. And so the mom was overprotective of my client would always tell her things like, be careful when you're walking home from school, don't get hit by cars, don't get picked up by a, um, a bad man in a car kind of thing. So from her mother, she was learning the world is a scary, dangerous place, bad things can happen. And from the father, she was learning, if you want to get attention, you need to be sick. And this has contributed to her, uh, to her worries about her medical condition or about the possibility of there being a medical condition. Now, the conversation that I had with this client that was interesting was she had taken a course in cognitive behavioral therapy some time ago, and in that class, they were talking about all the different types of faulty thinking that people tend to have, and her tendency is to catastrophize, uh, to worry about all the worst-case scenarios, all the bad things that could potentially happen, all the terrible futures she could live into. But she was so used to doing this, it was so natural for her, it was her default way of thinking, that when they talked about that particular type of faulty thinking in the class, she didn't recognize herself. She didn't realize that she did that. So she came to see me. We were working on her tendency to be focused on what's going on in her body, her fear of all these medical conditions, and we were able to get her some progress. And she came back after that session, she said she had spent some time with her family since and uh, was really aware, listening to her family talk, how much they catastrophized. She said every time her parents opened their mouth, it was a worry, it was a fear, it was a complaint. All they did was talk about what if, what if, what if, worrying about the future. She hadn't realized how prevalent it was because she was so immersed in it, she didn't even see it. I use an analogy of a fish in a fishbowl. A fish swimming in a fishbowl doesn't realize it's in the water. It's so immersed in the water, it doesn't know there's such thing as water until it jumps out of the bowl. When the client has gotten some progress, some resolution, and they're able to see things more objectively, then they start noticing these patterns. So suddenly she realized how she came to catastrophize. She learned it from her parents. And then she realized she was actually doing it with her own kid. She didn't realize she had this tendency to catastrophize, didn't notice she was doing it uh, when she took that CBT class. But after she worked with me, she saw it in her parents, and then she went home and had her kid brush his teeth, and she was telling him how he has to brush his teeth so they don't rot and fall out. And then she realized she's doing the same thing with her kid, all these worst-case scenarios, all these terrible things that can happen. Now, I bring this up because, again, we have a default way of thinking, a way we're used to thinking. Maybe it's been modeled to us by our parents. 
maybe we've had negative experiences that have taught us for whatever reason that the world is a scary place or bad things are going to happen. And so we tend to think these negative thoughts and the thoughts we think create a corresponding chemical cascade within the body and thereby you have depression. You're creating it yourself. Of course, the same thing happens with anxiety as well. So we can get the client to challenge the thoughts in hypnosis. And when you challenge the thought, when you think a different thought, different chemicals are released. The example of the snake in my office. When you realize it's an extension cord, now you laugh at yourself and you're releasing a different chemical cascade in your system. And this isn't pop psychology. This isn't some crazy woo-woo stuff. This is actual science. So you may be familiar with neuroplasticity. The idea that we have these neural pathways in our brains, it used to be believed that our brain developed to a certain point and then stopped developing and then after a while would begin to atrophy. What we realize now, what new science has shown us, is the brain is plastic. It continues to develop if we're making efforts to develop it, and we can actually build new neural pathways in our brain. So let's say you have a neural pathway that's well-established for thinking negatively, This is your default way of thinking. It's the pathway you travel over and over and over. So it's really easy to think that way because that neural pathway is well established. When you get the client to challenge the thought, to introduce different thinking, to play a different game of I spy, you're actually having them build a new neural pathway. Now, initially, that pathway will be weak because they're only just beginning to build it. But every time you think in that new way and you think in that new way and you think in that new way, the new neural pathway becomes more and more and more well-established until eventually a tipping point is reached and it becomes the new default. Now it becomes more natural to think in the more positive way. And at this point, now you're releasing a different cascade of chemicals within your body more consistently. And so using the mind-body connection to help the client get over depression involves explaining to them this idea of neural pathways and default ways of thinking and how the thoughts that we think create a corresponding cascade within the body and challenging the client to try on some different thoughts. And there's always a different thought to think. So it's it's not the events that occur in our lives that cause the problems. It's our perception of those events. Remember me saying earlier that Bruce Lipton says, it's not genes that cause our problems, it's how we perceive our environment. So when something happens, we tell ourselves a story about what happened. And that story we tell creates a chemical cascade within the body. So an example that I use with my clients is, uh, you know, three people lose a job. They all experience the exact same event. But the first person says, oh, this is terrible. I'm such a loser. I'm never going to find another job. I can't believe this happened to me. I'm such an idiot. I'm going to end up on the street. With that way of thinking, the person's going to end up with depression. They're releasing the chemicals for depression. Now, person two says, okay, this isn't ideal, but I'm going to trust that if I network, if I get some resumes going, if I talk to people about my skills and that I'm looking for work, eventually I'm going to find something. Same event, but this person's thinking about it differently, and as a result, they're releasing different chemicals in their body. A person's three, same event, loses a job, but they say, hey, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. 
Maybe I was getting complacent. Maybe this is an opportunity to find something I enjoy doing even more. Maybe I'll make more money. Maybe I'll get to travel. Maybe I'll develop some new skills. Maybe this is actually the universe working for me, and I'm going to move on to something that makes me so happy that this happened that I'll be grateful for having lost this job. Now, again, it's the same event, but with this perspective, the person's releasing a whole different set of chemicals than person number one. They've got energy. They've got motivation. They've got the drive to do something to change their situation. And they're now, you know, in momentum. They're, they're getting momentum going as far as moving forward. So we want to challenge the client to think differently, to adopt a different perspective when it comes to the events in their lives so that they're not being dragged down by their own negative thinking and by the chemicals that that thinking is creating. Now, I've seen this happen in my own life, this change in um, neural pathways, a change in perception that created a new neural pathway for me. So probably seven or eight years ago, I was dating somebody, and we decided that before bed, we were going to sit down and each of us write 50 things that we were grateful for, going to do this for a month as kind of a project. And two or three days in, I was kicking myself that I ever agreed to do this. I could barely come up with three or four things, let alone 50. Oh, and to make it particularly challenging, they had to be 50 brand new things every day, no carryover from the day before. If it weren't for the fact that I was doing this with somebody else and didn't want to admit defeat, I had too much pride, I might have just given up. But because I didn't want to tell him I couldn't do it, I kept doing it. And I saw the impact on my neural pathways. So around the second week, here's what happened. I would be going throughout the course of my day, and I'd be kind of collecting things to write about later on. I'd pull up to a parking meter, and there'd be money in it, and I'd think, oh, I can write about this later. Or somebody would give me a compliment or treat me to coffee, or a client would report getting results. And so throughout the course of my day, because I knew I had to write 50 things, I was just collecting them, collecting them. And so, again, that reticular activation system in my brain was looking for things to feel grateful for. And things that had always been occurring that I had been taking for granted all of a sudden started popping out at me. I was playing that game of I spy, looking for things to feel grateful for. And by the time the project was complete, I could easily sit down and write 50 things. And more importantly, again, it changed the way my brain functions. Now, if something goes wrong in my life, it's far easier for me to switch over to, okay, what's the good I can take out of this? What do I have still going for me? This may have screwed up. What else do I have that I can appreciate or feel grateful for? I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I was actually building a new neural, neural pathway for gratitude. And so, again, this isn't pop psychology or positive thinking, woo-woo. This is science. You could see a neural pathway in a person's brain on brain imaging. You could see the change in the form and structure of the brain as a person develops a new way of thinking. And so how do you use the mind-body connection? You're going to condition the client to think different thoughts. And for some people, this may require conscious effort initially. <laughs> and this sometimes has to be explained to the client. Uh, because of their misunderstanding of hypnosis, some clients are going to think they don't actually have to do anything different. They're going to sit in your chair. You're going to say a bunch of stuff to them. 
and then they're just magically going to feel happier, more positive. And so I let people know hypnosis can make it easier. It can help identify any contributing causes so that we can resolve them. It can help make it easier for you to persist, but you still have to do things differently. So you may actually have to stop and observe a thought that you had and look for a different feeling thought. Look for a thought that is more uplifting or more positive, like the example of the three people that lost jobs. You may actually have to step back and go, okay, my default is to think this really sucks, I'm a loser. What is another perspective I can hold here? What is another way to think about it? You may actually have to initially make some conscious effort. Now, another thing that we can work on with the client is helping them to shift their body language. You can tell looking at somebody if they're depressed before they even open their mouth. It's all over their body, the slumped shoulders, leaning forward, head hanging down. And again, how we think creates chemicals in our body, and our body language does the same thing as well. I used to play this little game. Now I'm living downtown, so I don't drive as much. But when I drove my car, when I would pull up to somebody beside me, I would sometimes adopt the body language of the person in the car next to me. I I encourage you to try it. You begin to feel what it feels like to be that person. Have you ever been, you know, sitting in your vehicle at a crosswalk, watching people cross the road, and somebody's walking with this really slow, depressed shuffle, and you just know that their life is miserable. You can tell by the way they're walking, right? So our body language is also linked to our emotional state. And so one of the things I'll work on with clients, too, is having them shift their body language. And so I talk about act, and of course, I'm doing all of this in hypnosis. Now, if you had to play the role of somebody who was upbeat and confident and happy, how would you carry yourself? How would you walk into a room? How would you shake hands? How would you make eye contact? What would your body language look like? And even if it feels like you're just faking it initially, because it will feel that way, I want you to go around acting as if pretend. Now, just like an actor, you know, actors sometimes have to play people who are dramatically different than who they are in real life, but they're getting paid millions of dollars. (laughs) And so they practice taking on different body language, carrying themselves differently, speaking differently in order to be convincing in that role. So I would say to them, if you were an actor and you were going to get paid millions of dollars to convince everybody today that you run into that you're super upbeat and positive and happy, what would you be doing as far as your body language is concerned, as far as your eye contact, all of that? And even if it feels like you're just making it up, the mind and body are connected. When you start changing your physical position, you bring your shoulders back, you bring your head up, you stand with your chest out instead of slumped and hunched over, again, it's going to release a different flood of chemicals through your body. You're body doesn't know the difference between whether you're happy or whether you're depressed. But when you change your body language, it's going to start to reflect that. And so I talk about acting as if. I talk about challenging the thoughts. I talk about, you know, um, looking at your default way of thinking. Where did that come from? And working to shift that. And I also talk about just doing things that create balance in your life and help you to authentically feel good. Now, 
the challenging thing about working with people who have depression is they don't feel like doing anything. They don't want to go out and exercise. They don't want to eat healthy. They don't want to socialize. So I encourage them to do it anyway. You don't have to want to go socialize or want to eat healthy in order to be able to do so. I don't necessarily wake up in the morning wanting to brush my teeth. I'm not like, woohoo, brush my teeth. It's the highlight of my day. But I do it because I don't want to be disgusting. I don't want my teeth to fall out. So you don't have to have motivation or drive or energy to do something in order to do it. But when you get going, it's going to create, again, that different flood of chemicals. When you do things that you know will help balance you, that will feel good, that will help you feel connected to other people, that will give you a sense of meaning, it's going to change the chemical flow within your body. So I hope this gives you some ideas of the things that you can do with clients who have depression to begin to shift things for them. If you're interested in training, again, the name of my school is the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy. I'm based out of Victoria. My next class in Victoria starts April 21st and 22nd, and then I'll have another class starting in September. Classes run one weekend a month for about a year, and at the end you can become a registered certified hypnotherapist. I also teach an online program. It's interactive, so we meet three times a month for four hours an evening. We can see each other and hear each other, and we can go into breakout rooms and practice. And that next course is starting June 6th. It's going to be Wednesday night, three times a, three times a month. Uh, and again, you can take that one from anywhere. So if you're interested in getting more information, you can contact me, info at horizoncenterhypnotherapy.com or 250-382-2485. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please tune in again. Thank you. Okay, take one. <laughs> with corrections with Campbell. With Campbell. Campbell. The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and never blood. Ha, ha, ha.